we are bigger than just these click for SEO stories. And I think it's our responsibility to look for the gems in this field of so many impressive people and stories and and keep leaning into that, what I like to call them, the non-athlete athlete. Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to writer, editor, and podcaster Emily Abadi. You can find Emily's byline in Women's Health, Men's Health, GQ, Runner's World, Self, the list goes on and on. She's definitely prolific. Though she's especially passionate about running, as a journalist, Emily has profiled some of the world's top strength athletes as well. She definitely knows her stuff. But these days, Emily is probably better known as the creator and host of The Hurdle Podcast, one of the most popular podcast series in the health, fitness, and wellness space. Hurdle focuses on sharing stories from, and I quote, badasses who got through tough times by leaning into wellness. Her guests have included athletes like three-time CrossFit Games champ Tia Claire Toomey and soccer superstar Alex Morgan, celebrity trainers like Dan Saladino, and inspiring names from all corners of the wellness arena. With all of that experience making content, Emily has a unique perspective on fitness journalism and what we owe to people as content creators. Our conversation had me thinking long and hard about a lot of how we approach the day-to-day work in the barband office. Emily's thoughts on the modern landscape of fitness journalism and content are relevant to us all, regardless of whether your passion is powerlifting, weightlifting, CrossFit, or a sport some might consider a little more mainstream. And just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the Barband podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. This helps us stay on track in bringing you the best content possible week after week. All right, Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. And just to give listeners a little bit of a background, you have a very interesting fitness story and your background in fitness journalism and wellness journalism is extensive. Give us give us the elevator pitch. Who is Emily and how did you end up where you are today? The elevator pitch. Okay. Emily is a woman in her 30-somethings from Connecticut. She's been in New York for eight years, all eight of which she has been a journalist. Firstly, she started covering all areas of journalism, uh, everything from news and entertainment to healthy living, food and party, all the lifestyle categories. Then went to Rodale, uh, where I did my first stint as a fitness editor. Left Rodale to become the fitness editor at Self Magazine at Condé Nast. Left Self Magazine after the fold to be a freelance journalist. Uh, Now these days, I am tapping words to laptop for everyone from GQ to men's health and women's health. Uh, And when I'm not doing that... I am creating content for my podcast called Hurdle. And on Hurdle, which you should all check out David's episode of, <laughs> I talk to everyone from entrepreneurs to top CEOs and athletes about how they've gotten through tough times, hurdles of sorts, by leaning into wellness. So I'm a journalist, I'm a podcaster, I'm also a certified trainer, a run coach, the whole shebang. I want to get more into Hurdle 
later on in this podcast. And by the way, your intro is so down pat. I can always tell someone is a seasoned pro when it comes to audio recording. When In giving the description, they can just go right into their podcast <laughs> intro and then right back out of it. It's so impressive. I want to talk about fitness and wellness or health and fitness journalism. You had a background in kind of general journalism covering everything under the sun, lifestyle, you named it. What is different about health and fitness or wellness journalism? And was there a steeper learning curve for that in any way for you? Because I know a lot of people have made that transition and they always talk about it was just so different than I thought it was going to be. And everyone has a different perspective on what exactly surprised them about becoming like a health and fitness journalist. I think what's really important about health and fitness journalism is making sure that your facts are right. When I was at Rodale, after about six months, I knew... After about six months of creating content, I knew that I wanted to be really smart in the way that I was going about my execution. And so that's why I became a certified personal trainer, just to make sure that when I was working with athletes and coaches and different trainers, that when we were creating things like workouts or they were giving me their opinion that I could co-sign it with a solid knowledge base. And I think that's what's so important about health and fitness journalism is just our responsibility and uh, just our greater responsibility to make sure that we're putting out really smart fact-based content because a lot of people are going to the internet especially, they're opening a, an issue of a magazine and they're looking for advice on topics that they just know no, they just don't know anything about. I think there's also a component of, I agree with all that, I think there's a component of speaking the language too and making it accessible because when you talk to a trainer or a researcher and you're working on a program, you know your audience better than they will. You're the bridge between. So you have to translate it to be it layman's terms or in a way that's going to make it accessible. And so if you don't understand that language and where they're coming from and have a little bit of background in that, you're not going to be able to really voice those thoughts. Totally. And I think also, I mean, I always as a journalist would rather do in-person interviews, but especially when it comes to program design and workout design with trainers, man, I can't tell you how many email exchanges I've had where I'm like, can we just hop on the phone or just sit down in person? Because it doesn't translate to your to your point about like layman speak. It's like, yeah, I have to be the person that can translate. Like you're very smart with sets and reps and movement patterns and you can show me things so well. But when it comes to me translating that for a bigger audience, that's where my skill set comes in. I have to be able to, you know, play both sides of the defense and offense. <laughs> both sides of the field. What misconceptions do you think exist around wellness or health and fitness journalism. I'm not even sure the right the right term there. There's wellness journalism, health and fitness journalism. At Barben, we're solidly in the more fitness journalism side of things. But what misconceptions do you think exist, whether it's in that community or uh, among your readership or the larger mainstream audience? I think a lot of light right now is being shed on this idea that there's not one definition of fitness or there's not one way that everyone is supposed to look. Obviously, the body acceptance movement is a true movement and a lot of brands, uh, and I definitely would highlight self here, are really getting into this space where they're talking about being your healthiest version of yourself. And that can mean so many different things for so many different people. It's not about necessarily like working out to lose weight. Although if weight loss is one of your goals, that's a great thing, but it's 
we're working out to become better. We're working out for it to be better at life. And that's like a really beautiful thing. Uh, granted, you're still going to get a ton of the content from a lot of different sites and especially, you know, a lot of the ones that I write for as well that are talking about specific workouts or different strategies. I know obviously like spot reduction isn't possible, but if you're doing Pilates, that is like a spot targeted workout. So it's like, it's just kind of making fitness and wellness knowledge accessible in a way that everyone can then take that and digest it and implement it and how it works for them. So I think the old way of fitness journalism, the old, like, this is your beach body workout. This is how we're going to blast fat. Like very few brands editorially are speaking like that anymore. And thank God. Talking, speaking of health and fitness goals and everyone has those different health and fitness goals, Let's talk about you. What are your health and fitness goals? What are some that you've achieved? What are some that you're working toward now? And what is achieving a greater level of fitness mean for mean for you? What does it mean for Emily? Totally. So uh, back in college, I weighed 70 pounds more than I do now. Uh, I did that in two phases. Uh, the first phase was learning how to eat better. And the second phase was learning to love running. At the time, after losing about 30 pounds, I was working at a summer camp and didn't have the option to go to a big box gym like a Planet Fitness. So I knew that I had to do something and that something was run. I never had a good relationship with running growing up. My brother was the track athlete of the family and I was the one who just couldn't run a mile in under 10 minutes. It was something that actually uh, kept me from making my JV volleyball team in high school. So for me, running was super, super intimidating at first, but what I did to ease into it was every day I just committed to running the exact same distance. And I did it for about seven weeks in one summer. And at the end of the summer, I went to measure the distance that I thought was a mile and it was only a half mile. And running that half mile every day for the summer took me about 14 minutes. I'm sure 100% that I could walk a half mile in 14 minutes. So where that time amount was coming from, you know, we're just going to wipe that off. But what happened that summer, which was really valuable, was that I learned to love running and it didn't matter how far I was going. All that meant, all that mattered was that I became better and that enabled me to feel more empowered in other areas of my life. So since then, uh, running has taken, you know, a whole new meaning for me. I'm now a seven-time marathoner. I'm training for Chicago, which will be my eighth in October. Uh, I'm also a triathlete. I've done one Olympic triathlon. I swam in the Hudson. I'm probably still radioactive. That's We're actually sitting a, a distance away. We're recording this live, but there's like a gap between us <laughs> just, because, just because of that. No, I'm kidding. Just because, just to be safe. So I'm a triathlete. Um, and like I mentioned, I'm also a certified run coach uh, and a certified trainer. But I mean, my goals right now, obviously Chicago, I feel like you never really train for a marathon and don't in the back of your head think it would be really nice to PR. So maybe a nice little PR on the flat course in Chicago. And then other than that, I mean... I think what's really important and what I try to constantly communicate with my audience is the journey's never done, right? So yes, I've lost 70 pounds. I've run a slew of marathons. I love to work out. It's part of my DNA, but I always feel like there's room for improvement, not in a super critical way, but just in a like, what's going to make me happy way. So I think there's always like, you know, as you get older, those like five to 10 pounds that you kind of go back and forth with and everyone messes with that a little bit. I'm always messing with that a little bit. So maybe 
maybe my goal would be to, to lean down a little. But other than that, I don't really have any big strength goals. I'm just trying to, you know, be better every single day and enjoy the journey. Let's talk about balance when it comes to fitness, because as a fitness journalist, and I know this is specifically relevant to you, you are bombarded with events, workouts. Let's work out in the park. Let's go to a CrossFit gym and work out with this CrossFit athlete because a brand is hosting that. There are a ton of events that I know our team at Barbend has run into you at, um, and you have a lot of different options in your Maybe maybe there's an expectation in the field that you'll kind of show up and participate, whether it's more strength-based, running, you obviously have down pat. How are you balancing that over the course of like a week or a month with your running goals, but also understanding that the demands of your job might require you to just hop into Metcon with you know a top CrossFit athlete or something oh, like that? What a hard day. <laughs> um, although those things, I did once uh, do a wad with Patrick Vellner. He was my partner and I was just so... Slightly concerned about letting him down, <laughs> but he was a really good sport, and we actually handled it pretty well. We deadlifted the same amount for the wad. I just want to put that into the universe. He was going a little bit faster than me, but we were deading the exact same amount. Um, what I will say is that when it comes to the constant uh, slew of events uh, and balancing it all, I'm a really big planner. I think you kind of have to be when you have so many invites flying. And then also you have to be a big planner when it comes to being strict with the training schedule and maintaining that. So it's all about plugging things into the calendar and being honest with yourself. I think this idea of being kind is so important, not just how you deal with everyone, but also how you deal with yourself and your body. And so for example, last night I went to an event, there was a run as a part of the event that morning I had already done an eight mile interval running workout with a girlfriend of mine around the reservoir uptown. And I got to the event and I looked at a colleague of mine, you know, we're so lucky in this industry that we've grown such great friendships with people that work at so many different brands. And I looked at one of the women that um, I work with quite frequently and she looked at me, she's like, you look tired. I was like, I'm, I am tired and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. And she looked at me and she's like, maybe you should just say no. And I, it hit me in that moment. It's something that I tell myself time and time again, just to own your no, like yes and no are two of the most powerful words that we have in the English language. And sometimes we're so hesitant to use them. So for me, I owned the no. I changed right back out of the workout clothes. I like said thank you to the brand who was putting on the event. And I left and went and met my girlfriend and had a cocktail. You know, like it's just really being aware and listening and not feeling like every single thing has to be a yes. What are, are there any memories that stick out going to one of these events or participating in one of these events? It could be something that a brand put on. It could be something that an organization put on um, where you got to connect with an athlete and it really changed your perspective either on fitness in general or in particular on their niche within that. Not necessarily an event, but I went to Cookville to hang out with Rich Froning for 48 hours for a piece of branded content for men's health. And it was arguably one of the coolest things I've done in my career. And I had been a CrossFit fan for some time, probably like four or five years That at that point. Uh, I had done CrossFit very strictly for about two or three years. I stopped doing that after I did one too many overhead squat snatches and triggered some arthritis in my lower back. Um, and so I went down there after watching Rich for many years, after seeing him at the games, like kind of 
having one thought about how it could go. And he just blew me out of the water with his kindness and just genuine compassion for his family. He welcomed us into his home. We worked out in the barn with the whole Mayhem crew. And it was just really enlightening uh, to see the relationships and how important they are to that whole team. And then, I mean, outside of that, I think CrossFit as a whole, the idea of lifting like that was never something that Emily would have thought about doing when she was, you know, staring at a scale in her freshman dorm room that said 204 pounds, like never. So just the more and more events that I go to that have a strength component. I know I was at a Nike event the other day and we were like climbing up ropes and slamming med balls and just doing all these things and just the integration of more strength into specifically female workouts and just the importance of building strength and that it's not, it's demystifying the the big weights equal dangerous stuff. Like all of that, every time I see it, when I go to these events and I'm like, yes, like let's do this stuff. Like let's get into the, into good stuff. I, I got to ask, and this is something that I've never done. I've I've been to Cookville, Tennessee, but it was pre CrossFit. Oh, to date me, it was different. it was before it was before CrossFit was a phenomenon. Um, I'm curious, what does Rich Froning eat over the course of a day? Oh, it's not. It's nothing like as like like. Fikowski, very strict with what he eats. I've interviewed him and like asked him all about these things. He literally makes like like pig tongue for lunch. The, the Canadian CrossFit athletes I found to be extremely <laughs> nice. You never want to let them down. Like Patrick Vellner, I would never want to disappoint oh, him on a so workout. Sweet. And so regimented. Yeah. No, very regimented. Like Vellner is uh, another good example. Like he is literally like a chicken and rice guy like all day, every day. Uh, Rich is not like that at all. Rich like might eat, they have very good donuts in Cookville. He might eat like a donut at one time and then he'll have like a protein shake and then he'll drink some chocolate milk. The guy literally has a fridge stocked full of chocolate milk at all times, like a keg, like a chocolate milk. I don't know. I don't remember if it was a keg, but there was a ton of chocolate milk. I was like, can you, can you have milk in a keg? That's I don't a great even- question. He probably drinks it fast enough to keep it in a keg. He They go through a lot of chocolate milk down there. Um, and then like, Maybe he'll have a real lunch and then he'll sit down and have dinner with his family. But maybe the kids are getting one type of thing from the Mexican takeout place and Rich is eating something else. Regardless, he is nowhere near as regimented as everybody else that he surrounds himself with. Well, he's clearly found a way to make it work. Yeah. Something we've talked a little bit about off camera is the impact CrossFit's had on the broader fitness world, the proliferation, growth, and popularization of strength athletics, like weightlifting in the U.S., definitely not where it would be now without CrossFit. Same with powerlifting, strong man and strong woman competitions, kind of feeling that as well as people move from CrossFit to those sports. Are there any other factors beyond CrossFit that you would attribute the growth or mainstreamization, that's not really a word, but you get what I'm saying, Main, mainstream growth of strength um, in, at least in America, anything else you would attribute to that? So I think uh, they're a double-edged sword. And what I'm talking about are a lot of the Instagram strength training programs that are becoming like super viral. Uh, the Kayla Itzines, the Kelsey Wells, the... Um, you know, the, the women that are really making strength training programs popular, both body weight and then with some lightweights and then, you know, some, some cardio and things like that. But 
for the first time in my career, I'm seeing more and more women actually just like going by themselves into the gym and following these women's programs and seeing like really great results because they're opening themselves up to a type of training that they felt like was inaccessible before. Now, with the rise of these Insta celebrity trainers, you just have to be smart with who you are taking advice from. And so a lot of these women that have these really big followings, they definitely are certified trainers, like they know what they're talking about, but there are always going to be, you know, the copycats, the women that want to be just like these other women. They want to grow these big followings. They want to make money like these women. And so just what I would say on this trend, which can be both positive and negative is just really make sure that you do some background Intel research on the people that you want to take advice from. And that's again, talking about being a fitness and health journalist. Like we're the, the gatekeepers of this, right? Like we have the responsibility to kind of air out when something like that could be catching steam and it's not safe. What are some things that the average listener at home who maybe is not the experienced fitness journalist can do or what are some criteria they can look for to kind of sniff out BS that they may see on Instagram? So I think the thing that's always super important to look for first and foremost is does this person list any certifications? I'm not saying that you can't get a lot of real world experience working out that make you some sort of an expert in your field, but if there is no letter after the name CPT, CSCS, um, some sort of masters in, in exercise science or movement, then I would just say like maybe take a step back and just really dig into what else you can find out about this person before you want to take their advice. I mean, for example, I, I had run six or six marathons before I was a certified run coach with about eight to 10 years of running experience under my belt. Does that mean that I'm not uh, qualified to to offer up my opinion? No, it doesn't mean that. But until I became a certified run coach, it didn't make me qualified necessarily to teach other people the foundations of running. So while I could offer them, hey, this is what worked for my experience, I can't be like, this is what you should do until I studied to be at a point where I was more responsible about diagnosing, about working with people, about just like being smart about their body. We've talked a lot about, again, both in this podcast, in on the Hurdle podcast, off, off of the mic, off of the recording, about how strength training has become more popular in various communities, especially among women, which I think we all agree is a, a net positive, yeah. or at least we both do. Are there any communities getting left behind when it comes to the mainstream growth of fitness, particularly strength training? Hmm, good question. Getting left behind... I feel like what happens is the health and fitness industry can be one of price. Mm -hmm. And so some individuals feel like if they don't have the money to invest in health and fitness, whether that be going to classes or buying, who knows, like a Peloton by Kurt Peloton tread or to spend on an app that if they don't have money, that's a barrier to entry. But in actuality, I would argue that that's just an excuse, right? Like I ran every day. It cost nothing except maybe like the occasional $18 for some Hanes white V-necks and some junky Target black leggings. And 
that was my way to find fitness that worked for me. I think that it can feel overwhelming when we are so surrounded, especially on social media, of all of these jazzy, exciting options, which do, which do come with a price point, including gym memberships as well. But the reality is that you don't have to get left behind if you're willing to put in the work on your own. And so not using these higher price points as you know an excuse to get to what you want to set goals and and handle them in a smart way. We've gotten a lot of questions through social media on Barbend. And when when people say, oh, we've gotten a lot of questions, they normally mean we've got no questions. I just want to talk about this. But this is one (laughs) where we actually, we legitimately do get a lot of questions and people say, oh, I really want to start strength training, but I can't afford weights. I can't afford to go to the gym as if those are the two those are the two gates. You either have to buy a weight set, which yeah. can be astronomically expensive for some people, and depending where you are, or you have to, you know, pay a pricey membership for a CrossFit gym, a powerlifting gym. These things are not cheap, and the more niche you get, the more expensive these things tend to be. The first thing we do when people reach out to us and and about this, whether it's a question or whether they're just kind of airing some grievances, is we direct them toward bodyweight training content. Some on barbend, mm-hmm. some not, because you can get. Insanely strong. Oh, yeah. Insanely strong, like working out in a park with a pull up bar at your home, working on basic gymnastic body weight movements. If you can get to the point where you're doing strict bar muscle ups at like a park on a jungle gym, you're pretty darn strong. You're pretty strong. I I think. Two times this year, I felt like I was like in the best shape. The first time was when I did yoga, hot yoga every single day for a month. And I felt so strong. And then the second time was when I was writing down everything that I was eating for a month. So they're obviously like very, two very different extremes, but the body weight training that I was doing with the yoga, like made me feel so much stronger than I had in years, probably since I'd been doing CrossFit. And the athletes who often excel transitioning from one sport to strength sports, especially when it comes to weightlifting, just because of the mobility aspect and, and the kinesthetic awareness aspect, it's pretty much always gymnasts. It's, always gymnasts. It's gymnasts or cheerleaders who are former gymnasts <laughs> oftentimes. Exactly. What do you think is still missing when it comes to fitness media? Fitness media, what are we missing? I mean, I think we're seeing more and more in-depth reporting, which is really important. Uh, There's nothing I love more than profiles and features in the health and wellness and fitness arena when it comes to journalism. I mentioned that 48 Hours with Rich Froning article that I wrote for Men's Health. It was like, that is the kind of reporting that I would love to read and edit and work on every single day. And that's, you know, a really big reason why I started Hurdle. But I feel as though we have the opportunity, I feel as though we have the opportunity as journalists to get really in depth and get away from a lot of that, like 12 different squats to build your butt, eight different ways to press overhead. Like, I mean, there's room for that as well, but we are bigger than just these click for SEO stories. And I think it's our responsibility to look for the gems in this field of so many impressive people and stories and and keep leaning into that, what I like to call them, the non-athlete athlete. What is your story? Just because you're not, you know, at the on the podium at the CrossFit Games doesn't mean that you don't have some really big milestones and some really big uh, takeaways to offer a broader audience. Let's talk about Hurdle. Let's do it. You are 
You released episode 71 this week. I know that because that was, as of this recording, that was my episode where I came on the show. It was an awesome experience. You've interviewed some fantastic people and a really diverse body of people. And in addition, um, it's it's doing well. It's doing well online. Ratings, reviews. I always see people tagging Hurdle, talking about Hurdle moments, getting inspiration from the podcast. How did that come about? And what have been some of your keys for success there? Because as I learned firsthand, you have a lot of people contributing and contributing their expertise, but it's very much a one-woman show as far as you driving the ship, doing the interviews, sourcing the guests, and really teasing out these lessons from everyone who who joins. Yeah. Hurdle can be a little overwhelming at times, but it is my, it's its my own, baby. It's its own hurdle. It really is. Uh I started Hurdle at the very end of 2017 going into 2018. Um, I'm over a year and a half in now, which is crazy to me. Uh, And I was going through some personal and emotional hurdles of myself. Uh, I had left my last full-time job about a year before this. I was a freelancer, still am a freelancer, and was just looking for another outlet to channel my energy. I had been thinking about starting a podcast for a really long time, but I just couldn't really home in on exactly what I wanted it to be about. Uh, Simultaneously at the time, I was getting out of a relationship and I was sitting with a girlfriend of mine on my couch eating ramen and I looked at her with so much sincerity and I said, I just want to get over this hurdle. And it was literally like tunnel vision in that moment. It was like, everything just started to click. Like, this is what it's about. This is who I want to talk to. Like, let me combine all of my interests as an entrepreneur, but also as someone who has a vested interest in health and wellness. And I had a hypothesis, as we've heard time and time again, that so many people that um, are, you know, mixing passion with purpose and creating their own businesses and starting from the ground up, they have a vested interest in health and wellness as well. They have a relationship with that side of their lifestyle. And it was so true. I mean, as you've noted, I've talked to a very diverse guest list ranging from Dr. Jason Worsland of the Theragun to Andy Pudicom of Headspace to Marcus Antebi from the Juice Press. I mean, and those are just three men. We also have like Candace Huffine. She's a she's a model. Uh, and then Sadie Lincoln, the founder of Bar Three. Like the the roster is endless. But Tia, Tia Claire Toomey, three time CrossFit Games winner, three time CrossFit G- Games champion. Yeah. So a, a lot of really outstanding uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs, athletes, and. What I learned from all of them is that, again, each of them has a different way that they interpret wellness and they implement it into their lives. And so um, on Hurdle, obviously talking through, getting through some of the hard stuff. I mean, even Tia Claire, she was she literally went from hardly working out to three years later, like being at the CrossFit Games and being an ultimate superstar. She went from not knowing what she wanted to do with her life and like being in school realizing she needed to get out of this path that she was on, left school and found a completely new source of happiness in CrossFit. Um, And so, I mean, I think I am lucky in that I get to, with Hurdle, every single day work on something that I am so passionate about. I truly feel like it's the most valuable content that I have created in my career. And it's really empowering that it is mine. Uh, with that said, it definitely comes again with its own fair share of challenges. I mean, I'm booking the guests, doing the reach out, doing the prep, doing the interview, 
doing the editing, doing the producing, uploading it into the interwebs, learning how on like how to do all of these things on my own by watching YouTube tutorials and emailing people and asking people to talk to me and have phone calls and yada, yada, yada. So it's a lot, um, but I am so much better for it. And it is already, you know, bigger than I could have imagined. And I just have so much hope for it going forward. If people wanted to get into the Hurdle Podcast, if they wanted to become hurdlers, if they listened to this interview and they thought, I need to check that out, what is the one episode you would recommend Barbin readers or listeners start with? I mean, Tia Claire's episode is really great. And I obviously think that that's something that a lot of your uh, readership and listenership would really relate with. Uh, other than that, let's see. I, I did an uh, interview with a man whose name is Omar Crispy Avila. He is a uh, war veteran who uh, his unit was driving in combat and went over an uh, IED and his vehicle blew up and he had suffered burns to what I think was 85% of his body, but I might have that statistic wrong right now. And his interview, which I launched um, this year on Veterans Day, was just unbelievable. Uh, He's now uh, an Olympic pair, he's now a, excuse me, He's now a Paralympic powerlifter uh, and obscenely strong. His deadlift is greater than Frazier. It's greater than the Vellner. It's it's up there. And this guy has one functioning leg. So I just think that his story was just really special. And his outlook is just like unbelievable, unrivaled. Are there any guests? You've interviewed some very big names. And I know you've even surprised yourself yeah. with the guests you've been able to get on. Are there any big names or anyone in particular, they don't have to be a celebrity, um, that you would love to interview that's a bit of a reach for you that you'd be willing to admit to or talk about now to kind of will it into existence? Will it into existence? I definitely have a a dream list. And like you said, I have been able to cross some people off of it. Uh, When Andy Pudicombe came into my studio, it was like mind blowing to sit with him and hear the voice that I hear so often in my headphones on the subway, like in real life. Uh, Andy was a big deal. Jillian Michaels was a really big deal. And I mean, some people in a very different scope, uh, also a big deal. I mean, I had my former boss, Liz Plosser. She's now the editor-in-chief of Women's Health. When I sat down with her, it was just really special because again, like it's coming full circle and working on something that's just so important to me and it's my thing now. And to have these people that root for me and that believe in me and want to come team up to, to do something with me, I think that's just really uh, valuable and I'm so appreciative of it. I mean, as, as far as who I want to have on the pod. Uh, Serena Williams is a dream dream get for sure. I definitely want to sit down with her. Um, Ibtihaj is a, is a big get that I want to have and I'm kind of in that conversation. So that's a fun one to be a part of. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, I don't want to put too many spoiler alerts into the world because I feel like I'm, I have very high hopes. I would love, love, love to talk to Ashley Graham. So if anyone listening to this is friends with Ashley Graham. <laughs> I've been putting some of those feelers out into the universe too, but she's such a badass. She has a great attitude. And uh, I listened to her on Jay Shetty's podcast and just really thought what she had to say was so valuable and a lot of which I really want to bring to my audience. Where can people keep up to date with what you're doing and with Hurdle? 
You can keep up with me and Hurdle probably best on Instagram. I am at Emily Abadi. That's A-B-B-A-T-E. Hurdle is at Hurdle Podcast. And of course, if you're listening to the Bar Bend Podcast, then you can find Hurdle wherever you check this one out. Awesome. Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. 